0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen.
1: Hi folks, welcome to another exciting episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. This is part two of our interview with Hersh of of Time Manufacturing. Make sure to check out the show notes for the first part if you missed that last week. Hope you find this very insightful. Let's get into it.
2: Actually, my mom as a kid, she taught me you always get three bids. You know, if if you need a plumber to go to your house and 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 fix something major, like replacing a water heater, then you should you should get three bids. If you're looking for somebody to paint your house, if you're looking for somebody to build a, a deck or to uproot a tree or whatever, anything that's gonna cost a lot of money, get multiple bids because you might get one bid. That's, I don't know, I'm just throwing numbers out, $2,000 to remove a tree from your property. And that sounds like a lot of money until you get the other two bids and you get a $3,200 bid and a $3,800 bid. And then all of a sudden that $2,000 bid, if if it was the only one you got, you might have asked that person to lower their price because that sounds like a lot of money. But when you have context of multiple bids, you see the difference between the bids. You know, I was actually able to see, you know, um, we we're using instead of two millimeter thick cardboard, we're actually using 1.5 millimeter thick. Plus we're using the two the art paper on the top and art paper on the bottom that makes it about two millimeters thick. And, you know, so I was able to actually cut a little bit of cost that way where, and it whereas like assumption. other quotes. Yeah. So we, uh, I mean, it made a huge difference because we have a lot of cardboard that stacks right on top of each other. And so in the end, you know, it made a huge difference, but, the reason I was able to know without having to haggle over prices and that sort of thing, which I think is kind of a mistake. You know, you want, you don't, I mean, in general, I don't like haggling over prices. When somebody tells me I will do it for this amount of money, I want them to feel valued. So I, I, you know, I, I, in, in general, if I get it for cheaper, they might be willing to do it for cheaper, but you know, just to get the job, but then they, they might not be happy. They won't put their all into it. They won't try hard. You won't get their very best. Exactly. And so I feel like by taking people at their word, you definitely want to make sure that you're informed by getting multiple quotes. But by getting four quotes, you just find out that, you know, hero time, for example, is the best value. I'm no longer feeling compelled like that I need to even ask you about the price. But now I can work with you. I can say, okay, your numbers are good they're in line with the rest of the market and i like working with you so um how can we work on this quote like what are we going to do to lower the price are we going to reduce the quality of the art paper are we going to whatever instead of saying Hirsch, your price is a little expensive can you lower it by 40 cents just expecting that i'm going to get the exact same quality probably not
0: let's say your scenario with a uh, with a game uh game land and long pack and long pack gave you this lower price in game land. Give you a little higher, and then you go to gambling. And you say long pack gave me cheaper. You give me cheaper as well. Why is there a higher? Why is there a price higher? There are two reasons: either uh, the the every the process is better, the the raw materials are better, and, and whatnot, or a person calculated the price for, for your pieces, and a person can make mistakes, and it happens. It happened to me many times over before. I, I was telling Sean that I managed to to build an automated quotation system on my end, so every game creator can get a quote within 10 minutes. Obviously this is this is for me to use, right? <laughs> but but I managed to build the system and now everything is standardized. So I know when I give you a quote, I know exactly where the money went and, and there's no mistakes anymore. I mean you can tell me, okay Hirsch, lower me the price, and I'll tell you your price can you know can become lower in, in one out of these three Topics, either the lower materials or uh, longer uh, lead time or less waste. But before this, I was quoting everything myself. So every time I need to quote a number, and by accident I, I press on the on the wrong digit, you know, and and my calculator and it gave me a price and I quoted. it. So in the time when people bought me a different quote and said, Hirsch, listen, what your quote is like, it's like fifty, sixty cents more expensive for this component. They say, Okay, where did I go wrong? And mm-hmm. then I know, okay, I can actually match whatever quote you got because if Longpack gave you this quote, that means I can also give you this quote, right? Because yeah. again, everything—the the production, the processes—are more or less similar. So I can—we all factories can match whatever quote you want, except if your factories are in the south of China, which is a different story altogether. Yeah, the the, the quotes you were saying, three dollars more, four dollars more—those are quotes mm-hmm. from probably the south of China, not uh-huh. the Shanghai, Zhejiang area. Um, and the lowest price are up north. So if you go to Qingdao and, and all mm-hmm. those areas in the north, the materials are the cheapest and, and their quotes are the cheapest.
1: And that's because um, so of infrastructure and how China is laid out in regions for manufacturing. Yes. Is that what you're and,
0: and, and, and labor costs. And, and every zone has their own paper mills and and, and processes. So mm-hmm. not, not necessarily processes, but mostly the raw materials. So Guangzhou area imports all the Highest quality material from Japan. Um, so Panda, for example, they have the famous ivory core paper. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones that can do it because they are in Dongguan area and they have imported directly from from uh, from Japan. And I mean, and pack also rent over there is twenty times more expensive. So if I'm yeah. paying nineteen RMB per per square meter per month, you know they 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 would be paying forty their overhead costs just shot through the roof. They will have the machines operators over there that that make a lot more money. Also, we need to remember that like Dongguan, Guangzhou area, the south of China is the first initial area that developed. Um, So everything from Hong Kong came immediately to to the south. Um, So there's the oldest, and they operate in the old method of having everything in-house almost. So Mm -hmm. their costs are, I mean, before they even start a project, their costs are a lot higher. Um, They also have less... We call them jia. We call them families. We have they have less small places that can do different stuff, um, unlike in Zhejiang where you have 50 people that make cutting molds. So if this guy gives me a higher price, I just go to the other one. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so they're less flexible over there. The prices are a bit higher. You want to find the balance. All the factories that operate within the middle of China, not the middle, but the on the east coast mm-hmm. of China in the middle. Um, So those are the key positions. Um, Yeah. Uh, What did I say this? Sometimes it's a human error. Sometimes it's a material indeed that is being used. Uh, For me at the moment, uh, that's what I was telling Sean, I worked for a whole year in order to build a quotation system that I can use and automatically give quotes to any game creator. So the lead time for it instead of two weeks or instead of two days is... One hour. You send me the message. You send me the specification sheet. You get your quote, and and you get all the recommendations you need as well. Because it's empowering my the game the game creator assistance that I have to become me. You know because I have all this intrinsic knowledge that I know, and and I need to pass it on to to a game creator, to a to not a game creator to a a, a creator assistant mm-hmm. that will help other game creators. So he needs to be. Like me almost, so only through this kind of system you can you can you can make it happen. Um, yep. But it's a lot of work. And um,
2: I think I think that uh, systems are they they make um, ordinary ordinary employees into extraordinary service providers. You know that you you can theoretically provide less training and get better results if you just have great systems in place. And I think that's fantastic.
1: So Hirsch, one thing we, we spoke about is one one thing we, we partially get into is order amounts and. As far as I recall, I remember you sort of telling me at some stage that you were thinking about offering a print-on-demand services. Is is my recollection correct? Is that something that you're working on? Um, Because I think what you're offering in terms of being a manufacturer and doing fulfillment is quite attractive and being actually based in China. And we know that this is something that people often use the game crafter for in terms of getting prototypes uh, sent to them quickly that they can, you know, see what the game's like and, and how it feels on the table before going into something a bit more serious in terms of mass-producing a game. So maybe speaking to that, um, your print-on-demand service, and then also the optimal order amounts that you're still sort of looking for for first-time creators or maybe even experienced creators.
0: Yeah, definitely. So before I start about uh, on the prototyping, I just want to say that Hero Time is no replacement for the Game Crafter. JT, whatever JT has done is beyond incredible. I mean, he's a pioneer. I'm talking about systems now, but JT is like 10 years earlier than anyone else, right? <laughs> he's an incredible human being on all aspects and his the quality of his products. He imports paper from Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, his quality of products and of so, it, it, is more than like I even if I wanted to, I wouldn't be able I wouldn't have been able to find this quality and I know because because I, I tried, someone I'm not named send me a game of the Game Crafter, and I said okay, can you get this quality? I tried and I couldn't. I went all over China. I couldn't find the freaking materials that he was using. Not even close. Um, wow. His oil is a special mix that he uses, so his cards really shine. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if you you've seen his cards, but they're way better than yep. any other mass production.
2: A game So oh, yeah, I I uh, you know what's interesting is um I used the Game Crafter for all of my short run prototypes for deliverance. And uh they, they actually have a uh the ability to mark an order as urgent and you'll jump ahead of you know, they, they sell a lot of games and you know there might be fifteen hundred people ahead of you because all, all those fifteen hundred orders need to be made. You know, they need to be made, put together, yes. put in a box, and then shipped out. And if you go if you're urgent, quote unquote. You can double the price of whatever it is that you're ordering and then you can get it like, you know, you can jump the line to all of the other quote-unquote urgent people. (laughs) And so your order can be made like the next day or the day after that and then just uh, sent out in the mail right away. And I have placed probably 20 orders at the Game Crafter. Every single one of them has been urgent. I have marked urgent because I wanted it fast. I didn't want it in six weeks. I wanted it in one week. And I, I think that it's fantastic but what's what's so interesting about the game crafter we made our nine deliverance prototypes that we sent out to manufacturer to I'm sorry to reviewers um, through the game crafter and I was very pleased with their uh, capability. They are very limited in the you know let's say like the size box you can use. They are very systematized in the way that you know like their token sheets are of a certain size they you know and they have a really cool template system that you can use. I highly recommend them for just short-run prototypes. Um, and, you know, I've spent a lot of money at Game Crafter over the, <laughs> over the years. Yeah, and, and
0: you will get a very high quality product.
1: in terms of prototyping, I, maybe you could speak into this because I've had experiences with the Game Crafter where I've ordered a game and it looks a certain way in, in terms of the colors, uh, particularly reds. And then I've ordered the exact same game maybe a couple months later and the color the reds are just like not nearly the same. And maybe speaking to what is the reason behind that is it like kind of is it like a home printer like the printer's the ink's running out and like it's just not able to put the same kind of brightness (laughs) into it or what kind of variables are we talking about here because it's it 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 can be straight it could be difficult being if you're getting prototypes right and one the colors are very bright and vibrant the next one you get is they're kind of muted and what's what's causing the difference in, in colors there
0: um, this is a, a beautiful and amazing question, um, and it's a problem also in mass production as well. So between the sampling stage and the mass production stage, the two boxes that we make will not be the same. The digital printers, the game crafter uses an HP 10,000 or HP 12,000, which is like the best, the best digital printer out there, almost. So, but but digital printing is is different from offset printing. So in offset printing, when I'm when I'm printing, I can control the colors up to a point. With digital printing, I have no control over it. I feed the system, I feed the, the printing machine into the... I, pr- I, I I feed the print file into the printing machine and it prints. Um, sometimes uh, the ink will be ejected a little more. Sometimes it will be a little less. It, it, it's not a manual process that we do. Um, it's not like offset printing where we can really like have full control over how much ink goes out on every sheet or in every spot on the paper. So you're limited by that. Secondly, PNG. Because a game crafter works on automation... And he doesn't do artwork setup. He has to use PNGs, and with PNGs, all the colors are blocked. So one of the things we do in artwork setup is you send us a file. We separate the colors. We say, okay, these are all the yellow colors. These are all the blue colors. These are all the green colors, or the C's, the M's, the YK, right? Um, and then that's how we transfer it into the printing plates. But in digital, when you have a PNG, you you're very limited with it. So you can still do it, but not to the same level of accuracy. So just working on a PNG file is not enough. Um, that's why I'm also saying in mass production, send us the AI files with the different layers so we can make sure we adjust the colors and the right uh, thing. A third thing that is a problem, and this might be your game. If your game is very heavy and the colors are very saturated, I mean, you make your CMYK colors and you have them over 180. Percent in total. So think about CMYKs. You have four colors. Each color has a hundred percent. So C one hundred percent, Y one hundred percent, M one hundred percent. That's three hundred percent. Sometimes we get colors that are three hundred percent heavy. Can you imagine what it does on the paper? And uh... It sits on the paper. It mixes in a certain way. We have no. If you if your artwork is heavier than two hundred and twenty percent, for me, I even have it on the terms and conditions on the website that I'm not gonna. Uh, no guarantee. You know, I yeah. cannot guarantee the quality of the print for, for images or for artworks that is more than 220%. So what you upload to the Game Crafter might have been a very heavy piece of artwork. And then th- when it came through the digital printer, the digital printer was like, oh, you know what, what the hell? I'm just going to spit out ink. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what came yeah. out.
1: Um, okay.
0: So it's basically these four points. A digital printer machine, less control, PNG, Less control. If your file is heavy ink-wise, even less control. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, these are the three main reasons why you c- you cannot have consistency, even between digital samples and mass production samples from the faint from the same factory. Even mm-hmm. same offset printing. You give me Andrew for your next print run and long pack. I guarantee a million percent that the second print run will have slight color changes, yep. depending on your artwork files, which seem very very heavy you will have up to like a 90 percent color discrepancy between your first edition and your second edition nobody will notice it but you as a game developer you will look at the cards you will look at the box this is different the customers in the end will not notice so much but but you will notice yeah
2: you know one one thing interestingly enough that we kind of get we we try to get around that is we work we work with a limited color palette for for a couple of reasons number one because aquaman and avatar did it and i thought it looked beautiful but i i thought we're gonna use purples with the demons, purples and blues and cool colors like that. We're gonna use golds <laughs> and whites for the angels and whatnot, you know, so that everything works. But the limited color palette allows, like, like you said, like the CMYK, like K is zero for you know for the angels or the you know it just it we're able to kind of reduce the the amount of colors required for to to make the the beautiful art, and then that for the cover. Color. Yeah, and then and then also for the color like the box cover, it's a very heavy print or a very, you know, vibrant. What we did was we actually desaturated a lot of it so that there's a lot of gray. The gold is very uh punchy where, you know, we actually did we even did like a spot UV on some of the gold, but the gold nice. shines and then the 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 whites and the grays and that kind of thing are very muted and then there's a little bit of blue in in the cover in it. That really helped. The first time I I printed it was actually at the Game Crafter. I was like, dude, this is so weirdly vibrant. I hate it. Um, <laughs> it's like a really cool thing, and like I just feel like I should have like 3D glasses on, or like I <laughs> like I it smoked really a lot of weed idea. and looked at <laughs> <a> paper. <So laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So it it definitely is a problem, and I didn't realize that that was why. But uh, desaturating I- seemed to really fix it.
0: You, you also have the... Um, the So on, on YouTube, I have the whole series where it's totally free mm-hmm. just to learn about each aspect of colors and of setup and of file organization just to make sure that your artwork comes out beautiful. And even experienced designers don't know this stuff. So mm-hmm. you can have an, a, a very experienced game designer, but he will not necessarily know the intricacies of, of printing per se because printing is is a very highly skilled profession that even machine operate, like the people the printing engineers also don't understand the file setup. They just know how to play with the colors in the machine. So they see, oh this blue, I need to add a little bit more M to it. Right? But they, they don't know how to set up the file on the back end. So so you have you have the, the the graphic designers that set up the file and then you have the printing plate makers and you have the machine operators that operate the printing machine. All these three parties each one knows each one is a master of his field so but the most important one is the file setup and and if you provide good files you will get a good game if you provide files that are not as good you will get file you need a manufacturer that will tell you this is not this is not so good i think yeah. that's also a key point so is there no surprises a lot of people complain about color discrepancy in cards especially if they have multiple backs so they have mm-hmm. a very heavy purple color on the back and very heavy blue and then very heavy red and then some of the blue cards are not identical to one another mm-hmm. so and, and they might complain about it so you just need to to understand this stuff to know what to expect so it's not it doesn't take you by surprise
1: and this is why you get test prints as well right because there is discrepancies between even digital displays on your computer cuz it's rgb Mm-hmm. And then you have print. It's a CMYK. It's a completely different color system. So on your on Photoshop, it's like, oh, this looks great. And then you get it printed. It's like, wow, this looks completely yeah, yeah, different. <laughs> and it's, well, that's yeah. what it looks like when you print it. So you do have to yeah. get those those test prints. Exactly. Print and even out.
0: even between the digital print and the offset print. So the digital print might come out perfect. You mm-hmm. you cut the machine mm-hmm. on a good day, you know. But yep. the offset printing will come off. So so it's yep. uh, if you have problematic files, there will be problems.
2: So I was given advice from my artist who used to work in a, you know, just going through college, he worked in a print, a print shop and, or maybe the print lab of the college, you know, as, uh, as his, his job. And, you know, as he was going through art school. So what he said to me was that, um, you know, so I actually printed on the game crafter, it came back dark. And actually this is, I think is a normal thing for the game crafter, for whatever reason, the way that they set up their printing, whatever you print in cards Cardstock will come back darker. I think that's because of the matte finish and you know something else regarding the way that they print. It's just dark. Black paper. Ah, yes. Yep. So, um, yes, that's Mm -hmm. exactly right. They do have black core cardstock, which is which is, I mean, that's the reason. But uh, so what I did was I increased the brightness of my cards. I put a layer in Photoshop of the bright of brightness. You know, generally making it like thirty percent brighter. And that fixed it for the game crafter, but that totally wrecked it for the, for long pack. They were like, Hey, these are, these are weird, fix this. And what my, so what my artist told me was that the mid range value of the art increase by 0.2 to 0.5 and you'll be great. I'm like, what does that even mean? And he showed me, there's like a slider that you can look at that, that shows like your, your values, like the lighting values or whatever. Okay, and there's like on. the middle, yes. And there's the middle value. You just create a layer, increase the middle value by 0.2 to 0.5, and it just makes everything pop. And all the bright colors are bright, and all the dark colors are dark, and everything is how it should be. And oh, I did this. So, is that like the, the levels
1: uh, plugin on Photoshop? yes
2: the levels adjust the middle level to to like 0.2 to you know and i did that for each one of the the demons that that we have they all like purples blues and and black and it just made them pop so much more and um so i don't know if that's uh that's a thing that everybody knows or or not but i just felt like i don't think i i I don't
0: know I, i didn't know that trick it was amazing. The, yeah, that's a pretty. You create like an
1: adjustment change. layer, and then you put levels on it, and then you can increase all the colors. That's right. Exactly
2: yeah. what Sean said. I somehow managed to do that myself. <laughs> um. <laughs> I feel like Michael Scott writing a book. Somehow I manage. Um, but
0: why? Why do I want to do prototyping? Is because cases like Andrew's, where you get the games from Gamecrafter. I mean, if you are going for the crowdfunding platform you don't need copies to sell, right? You just need copies to see the game so players can see it, can can play it, and reviewers mm-hmm. can play it, and so forth. That's what I'm suitable for. So the games will not be uh, high quality enough to sell, because they're made mostly manually and with whatever machines. But instead of setting up your machine once for the game, cra- your, all your artwork once for the game crafter, and then once for the mass production sample, and then again for the mass production, mass production, just use our fixed sizes. That and and our machines from the beginning to the end. So, so you know, f- from the start, you don't you will not have those hiccups on the way. I always imagine it as what I want to do is uh, like a bullet train. I know in the U.S. you don't really have bullet trains yet, um, but, but Center, you can on only the, have trains you,
2: that derail. <laughs> and destroy Idaho <laughs>
0: Yeah, and they
2: are the most toxic trains ever <laughs> Ohio doesn't exist anymore it's actually all dead
0: I always imagine uh, a game project getting on one stop and then getting off the last stop for him very smoothly very efficiently on a bullet train that works so yeah that's what I always imagine and that's why the prototyping fits in that picture because it helps you speed up the process mm-hmm. for later on as well yeah. So instead of having a lead time, Andrew, you've you've had a lead time of a year plus. Mm -hmm. I mean, your backers are very patient, but man, it's a long time. Yeah. If I were your backer, I wouldn't have been too happy. Yeah. Um, So yeah, and nothing bad, but but that's what I want to avoid. So you know, you finish your project within three months, the backers get the game. It doesn't need to be like not three months. You have issues with your artwork. Okay, six months, but the ideal will be. Start the right way from the beginning all the way to the end, and you'll have everything smoothly. Um, yep. So, so that's why the prototyping is such an important step. I feel, um, and I think actually
2: doing process. that with a manufacturer is a real benefit. I had a, um, a a friend of mine sent me a game of his. He said that he wanted me to give it a review because I have a lot of people of you know that might like this type of game. Um, it's called a uh, New Kingdom Gardeners by uh, Jack Dunbar. He sent it to me, and he sent it to me. I was thinking it was going to be a game crafter prototype, but it was actually shrink wrapped. I'm like, okay, it's shrink wrapped. That's that's not game crafter doesn't really do that. So what like how did you get this prototype? And he said it was from my manufacturer. I'm like, oh, I wish I wish that I had the knowledge to do this with a manufacturer. You know, I mean, it makes sense to to you know use the game crafter for prototyping for, you know, not for review copies, but for um testing copies that, that play test, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so we're selling for, them. Yeah, or exactly. So you can use that print on demand service to sell games and whatnot. But um, but um, it would have been so nice to have an early prototype copy from Longpack because I would have been able to work on the details with them. And it would probably cut, like you said, it would have cut at least three months off the process. You know, next time um, during my next Kickstarter in, I promise not to move across the country. That really hurt, also, but um, but I think it would have probably been one of the biggest ways to shorten this process is to um, just have my manufacturers produce the the review copies for my for my yes. people. I could have, yes. in theory, delayed the Kickstarter a little bit and worked on that. However,
0: and- we also need to remember that you know it's a, a mass manufacturer. His machines are different. He's not built. Yeah. I mean, we we. So for me, when I want to do the prototyping. I'm opening a whole new facility just for this. Uh, and in the beginning, it's limited. You know, I need to have these printing machines uh, instead of those, this cutting type. Um, slowly, slowly, you can become better. You can outsource it, but maybe outsourcing is not always a, the smartest idea for this. Um, but but yeah, so, so there's a lot of fixed sizes. You know, so mm-hmm. so if you want to do a reviewer copy, you're not going to get everything you want. I mean, you can, yep. but you will need to pay extra for that. You can yep. use a standard most cost effective sizes that we offer also. So the same sizes we have in samples, we also have in mass production. So mm-hmm. your your project is gonna fly through it, but, but you're limited in the prototyping to our standard sizes. And our standard sizes were for me, when I calculated them, I calculated them all the way to the end of fulfillment. So it's not like I'm calculating them, okay, what am I going to get for this game? No, it's also about the shipping box around it. And will the shipping box that I fulfill with fit this? Will this box fit on the palette? Will this box fill in the sheet? You know, how much will it weigh, volume weight? Everything is calculated. You know, what I've tried to do at least is, okay, this is a whole process. This is the most ideal box size Mm -hmm. for small game creators. And I repeat small game creators because large ones are or different ball games altogether, yep. they do need that unique or personalized touch. Um, and they can afford it, but yeah. their quantities can afford it. But small publishers, you need the best possible option. Um, so, so that's why it was important for me to, to also start the prototyping and, and really, like you were saying, cut as much dead weight or dead time out of the whole process itself
2: yeah actually it's very interesting because i remember going through this stage um when i was creating deliverance i'm like all right what box size should i use i there's so much that i i recognize that i don't know at this point so i need to use a game that is mass produced that is sent or that, that they sell a lot of copies because they have certainly figured out how so i actually use ticket to ride So Ticket to Ride was the barometer for how I should shape my box. And it ended up that it's 308 millimeters square. Um, I actually had to use my ruler, figure it out. And uh, so 308 millimeters square, and I can't remember what the height was. I thought as long as I'm able to fit all of the things that I need to fit and use the minimum height possible, I'm going to try to figure this out. So my box ended up being, you know, American numbers, 11 and a half inches square, by just over five inches tall it was like 5.03 inches tall or whatever so yeah, what that means yeah so I, but i was able to fit three games in a carton because the cartons that long pack is using are or tw- i i believe somebody's using 12 inches wide or so 12 inch squares by 16 inches long and three games of mine together are you know they're going to fit that 12 inches wide And they're like 15.1 inches tall. Like when you add all three of them. So the three games actually fit in a carton. However, if I just simply added a few millimeters of height, I could not fit three games in that carton and it would be a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And so, um, the, yeah, so it would have, it would have been kind of a nightmare, but just simply being able to, I mean, if, what if I made my game at like 12.1 inches square, it wouldn't have fit in the box. They would have had to do some custom work or I don't know, would have been a, been I my mean, for your quantity,
0: essentially, for your quantity, essentially, you can do whatever you want, right? Because you're printing already five thousand. You over the graph of two thousand is where yeah. the price breaks down, uh, mm-hmm. where the price starts dropping. Um, yep. That's for your, mm-hmm. for your next question also, Sean, about like how do I advise people on the first quantities? Um, usually, two thousand, I'd say, is a, is a price. There, there's multiple price uh, price breaks, so you will have the five hundred, which is like the 1,000 sets almost, and then mm-hmm. you'll have the 2,000, which has already become reasonable. Um, from 2,000, you jump to 3,000 is a good step, but the real step becomes 5,000. Mm-hmm. 10,000 is where most games kind of like break off line. or flat line. It's not really flatline, but yeah, you will have a, maybe another 15 cents to go down after the 10,000, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your game. But but more or less, 10,000 is where your game flatlines mm-hmm. over there. Um, so, so I always say to creators, the ideal quantity that you want to start with, if you could, is two thousand. Mm-hmm. However, you also need to, especially when you're launching a Kickstarter, you always want to plan for the five hundred. Yep. You plan mm-hmm. for the five hundred. You get the funding, and that's your funding goal. Your funding goal should not be the two thousand. Your funding goal should be the five hundred. And then, if you outdid yourself, then you can go over to a thousand or to two thousand, depending on your future. What do you want to do with this game? If, if this is a if this is a one time uh, game, for example, I'm making dark money now. But it's a, it's a fun game about politicians and where all mm-hmm. the money goes. Yeah. So that, okay. that's why it's called dark money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to do their minimum. They they don't want to become a company. They don't want to become a publisher. They just they had this idea in mind. They wanted to publish it. They wanted to do something out of it, um, and that's what they're going for. Um, so for them it's not a long-term business fund say, okay i'm going to use this crowdfunding money to to invest as much as i can to make sure the profit margins are as high as possible blah 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 for them they just wanted that first hit um, another example is faction of the soul which is also they these game creators they want the best possible game ever you know for them they want for them it's also it's not about Becoming a massive publisher for them, they're a group of students, they love what they're doing. They take it as a hobby project, they developed it together out of love. Um, so for them, they, they did, mm-hmm. uh, I think, 600 700 backers. For them, they want uh, they just want to get the most amazing game possible for these mm-hmm. backers. Um, same also with Soaria, you worked with Soaria, uh, mm-hmm. Max. You know, also his vision, he just has a, a passion for this specific game that he's making. So so for these types of people, the, I would say go for the 500, 1,000. If you mm-hmm. want to start becoming a serious business, then you want to start considering two and even five. Um, because that's where you start really generating as much profit margin as you can. Um, but you also, mm-hmm. you cannot take that risk. That risk, some people come to me and they say, I want to do 10,000. And that's not even crowdfunding people these are regular people that sell online and the first thing i tell them listen your price is good enough for three you don't need to jump to 10 And they say no yeah. i believe in my game i'm going to do 10 you know so some yeah. people are like that some of them succeed some of them succeed less some of them don't succeed at all
2: um, have a and garage full of it. games i really enjoy this uh, segment of the conversation because it's something that we've been dealing with on the back end we actually recently recorded a podcast all about amazon how not to shoot yourself in the foot with you, with your, you know, you know, creating your own competition on Amazon. And it's been on my mind a lot lately for not only for deliverance, but also for other clients, just wanting to make sure that they have this knowledge. But sometimes people will make a print roll. actually, for example, I was thinking about, uh, you know, use, I'll use just use deliverance because it's a firsthand example that I can share numbers. So I printed 5,000, but we had the budget to print 6,000 units of deliverance. And I thought, you know, if, If I decided to print 6,000, then that extra 1,000 units, in essence, I'm tying up revenue that I could use to pay my artist to continue working on the deliverance expansion. Um, But if I printed that extra 1,000 units, I'd get it at a decent price, but I would need to sell those games in order to continue paying him. Or I would need to open up another home equity line of credit, another credit card, or whatever, right? And so I would rather have the cash to pay let's say I did, you know, and I, I decided to print 5,000, but let's say I decided to print six. That means that I have that extra thousand units that I have to find a way to get rid of. And believing in the game, I've, I've sold about 3,200, I want maybe 3,400 units at this point. And I have enough games that I can sell that I believe if I needed to, what I, what I would, what I would have done is I would have sent out uh, reviewer copies, to addition, you know, to, to all sorts of reviewers, and I would have leveraged as many reviewers as I needed to in order to sell through all of those units. However, you know, I've already let's just say I've got sixteen hundred copies of the game left over, and then add on, you know, about two to three hundred of each add-on remaining that I'll need to sell through. I would personally rather burn through the rest of my stock and not have any in stock than. Uh, and, and what that means, I mean, well, we'll talk about the marketing implications, but if I burn through the stock faster, that means I'm going to need to hit the print button again. And the print hitting the print button again means that my game was in high, high enough demand to hit the print button again. So, which is a good thing all around. However, if I sell through the stock, uh, you know, at what, but I printed 6,000 instead. And if I sell through those 5,000 units and reach kind of like a, it slows down you know, and I have 900 units left that are just kind of sitting in a, a warehouse. What happens is those those fees start to get to me, The you yes. know, and, and the momentum really slows down. And I in most cases, what I found when somebody is in a situation like this, they sell they find a way to get rid of those games and sell them. So they'll sell to like a deep discounter like uh, or a distributor you
0: know. of some sort.
2: Right. And then the distributor will sell at 50% somebody that sells on Amazon is going to buy and then they're going to list your game at a big discount. And then from that point on, even though Deliverance was $89 on Kickstarter, listed for a $99 MSRP, there's somebody now selling it on Amazon Prime for $71.28. And I have to now compete with that person.
0: What my brother did, because when he first issued the game, version one was in Israel. He sold out of 3,000. He was picked up by a local Israeli publisher. He he did three thousand sets, off mm. the bat. He came to the U.S. He did another two. He printed another two thousand sets of uh, version two. Version two, he sold a thousand two hundred. He didn't do a Kickstarter or anything. Simply in in retail stores, um, and then he had to leave the U.S. and he had eight hundred games sitting there. So. He he just gave it to the low to, to to the highest bidder at the time, which wasn't too high and that guy turned around sold it to someone else and now this same game that he sells for 50 bucks is selling on Amazon for 24.99. The mm-hmm. game's a you can even check in on the barriers. a year later, he comes up with version three is a barriers for kids, which is a, an amazing idea and he he printed only a thousand at the beginning, but he's trying to sell and nobody's buying because every time he everybody's everyone is searching on Amazon for Zabarius, yep. they come up with the original game for 24.99 and they say why is this new game $50 yep. so that mm-hmm. is so yeah it, running out of stock sometimes also create that hype oh my god this mm-hmm. game ran out of stock oh my god oh my god oh my god I have to register now to to get in fast and, and then you launch another You, you, you leverage the, the, and, and I see this through other, a few other publishers. You leverage that out of stock to create a new nuanced add-on or game, or, uh, you do like the trading cards or, or whatever it is, an additional thing, and you launch it together with your return, Mm -hmm. return stock, um, which creates an even higher hype. So running out of stock, like you said, is not the, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, you, you want to balance it as well. Yeah, As long as you do five, I think 5,000 is already a, a low enough number for you. Definitely low enough number for you too. If you're not sure about your game, um, don't go yeah. over.
2: Yeah. Manufacturing is more important to learn uh, enough to be dangerous about early rather than, oh, I need a quote for Kickstarter now because I think yeah. that uh, you, in the development of your game, you can work with manufacturing in mind. And you will end up with a better product at a lower price. And I, I you know, I just think that uh, it's really worthwhile for people to know.
1: Hirsch, you were very kind to offer some really quality uh, manufacturing advice in our crowdfunding nerds course. You do manufacturing 101 and you have this thing about a 45 minute lecture where you just go through manufacturing 101, have some really good resources and tips in there. So if that's something that people want to dig into, there's a link in our show notes where... You know, our courses there, and uh, Hirsch is featured. Also, there's links in the show notes to your website, and people can connect with you there if they want to get in touch with you, get a quote or whatnot. So in fact, so, if I was developing a game, a new game, I would develop the game all around manufacturing. So I'd probably hmm. get into contact with you, Hirsch, as yeah. soon as I could and say, hey, what what is the, alt- the optimum components to use to produce a game of this caliber? And then I'll design all the game components oh, right. and the, the themes around that to optimize yep. that price so uh, that's the yeah, way so I
2: you want
0: to yep. hear something crazy uh, in addition to this um one of the new services that i'm also de- in development i mean it's almost there i just i'm missing two three documents is artwork team so i have a chinese artwork team that does an exceptional job beyond belief for very, it's very it takes the Chinese efficiency and put it in artwork, <laughs> um, you know, so imagine not only the design of the components done by the manufacturer, but also the artwork from start to finish is also done by professionals who understand how to set it up from the start to the finish and for a cheaper price. So and
2: me, they won't leave um, you. Suddenly abandon you. Disappear. Uh, yeah, the <laughs>
0: artists will not. The, the game creators will not. Everything is just a lot. Economies of scales become massive. Um, for me, this is the main vision. I mean, I see it. I I see it happening already. I I know what I need. I have like a lot of work to do, and, and a few areas. But for me, it's, imagine your whole game from the start, except the game design, which I'm leaving up to to the game creator, can be done in one location from start to finish efficient throughout the whole process at the lowest price possible while giving providing the best quality possible as well so so for me this is this is a vision of getting on on on, on one stop and, and getting off the other one the, the end stop happy that's so, fantastic
2: so, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited i think that uh you know more people need to know about hero time just from just based on what it is that you guys are doing. I think that, um, you're innovating that you're able to provide, I mean, just systematized quotes by themselves. You know what the, the alternative to me is emotional pricing where, you know, if, if you're not pricing based upon, you know, like for us, people will ask our rates and we just will share them. You know, we have a rate sheet that we, that we send out. That's based on a system, and so you know that when you're working with crowdfunding nerds, you're not, you know, I, if I find out you're rich, I'm not charging you more. You know, if I find out you're poor, I'm not charging you less. I am just charging the the fair market rate for that we that we need in order to um you know to do well as an agency for you and and so on. And I think that there's a lot of value when like, as a manufacturer, you know, working with a manufacturer, there's this inherent Understanding gap, and to know that you price and you're you're working off of a system like hey, the the card stock that is this thick costs this much at this quantity, and that's already kind of worked out. You know it it should make somebody much more confident to ask you for a quote and then actually use your quote as a benchmark to judge others. you know? Yes, so yes, but, uh,
0: small game creators need to understand that this problem they have, everyone has. So they're not alone. And I mean everyone. I, the biggest publishers, the biggest publishers, I'm talking about the biggest, I know for a fact that they have the exact same issue. Whenever it comes to quoting, they have no idea what's happening. Everything is so vague. Everything is so great. And I I'm, I don't know why, but maybe factories are, it's, it's beneficial, right? Because then... You can do whatever you want and say, oh, this is the price you wanted, or oh, whatever, right? So it's a very gray area. And keeping it gray is very safe for the so, so factories as well. So these issues that the small publishers have, massive, massive, massive publishers, millions of copies a year have the same exact issues. My, uh, yeah. So this quotation system that I'm building and, and the whole, so from from production, from prototyping all the way to fulfillment one system is also suitable in the yeah. future for those large publishers. So, so, and, and yeah, I will be, I will be selling it probably to to those large publishers as well to, to use. One publisher bought a whole uh, assembly line in Shenzhen and he still doesn't know what they're doing. So, yeah. so imagine you as a small game creator. I mean, what power do you really have? Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. You know, and actually that, that kind of brings me to, our final question, which is how can people get in contact with you? I know we've talked about your website before, but um, how can people get in contact with you? What resource, you know, how can people find the resources that we're talking about? On the So
0: um, on the website, the homepage, obviously they can contact us or they can even send me a private message. Um, I see all the, all the, st- all the stuff that flows through the website. I see, I monitor on my email. Um, so I, I know everything that is happening. So you can even say, I want to talk to Hirsch. and and ask a question and I will answer you as soon as I see it or as soon as I have time. Um, I'm sometimes very busy. So if if I go somewhere for a few days to like to do QC or whatever it is, I will not be able to respond immediately. But within like, let's say within a week, you will for sure get a response. Um, But if you just want information, you have the university on the website, the Hero Time University. And that has literally all the information, even about marketing. And I would be happy if you guys contributed an article to in the marketing university section because i wrote it from experience that i've had with many publishers especially about the advertisement my article sucks i i think i i don't understand advertisements so if you're willing to step in and write a beautiful <laughs> article about it i'll be very happy yeah, um, but you have yeah, the university yeah, yeah. yeah. would walk you through all the pricing all the possible components and, and materials and explaining the pr- why it is this way um, if you want something a little easier or use specifically crowdfunding you can go to the crowdfunding page um, you will have over there the simulator the mm-hmm. so it's it basically you choose your components you see all the exact pricing as well not exact it's more of an average of industry average so with my system i always need to adjust it like every quarter and adjust it to the fluctuation of the rmb to the fluctuation of raw materials in the system it's fixed so you go to the simulator this is a worst case scenario that I've that I've had. This is the prices for the worst case scenario. So you will be able to generate a quote, a worst case scenario quote, um, and, and that's a very helpful tool. Through the crowdfunding page, we'll also have a list of reviewers. Uh, you'll have a bunch of resources. So basically, I try to make available everything that I know. You know, so so you can go on the website and really find everything you need. Um, so if not awesome. that, if you can't find, you contact me and and I'll and I'll respond with the answer.
2: Awesome. And so that website is Hero Time. The number one.com. So, hero time one.com, right?
0: Yeah, okay. Or type in Google Hero Time Manufacturing uh, or Hero Time. Yep. I think we will come up.
2: <laughs> awesome. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hirsch. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Well, that's all
0: the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay
1: nerdy.